Rent strikes grow in Toronto. Puffin babies experienced mass starvation this year. Indigenous leadership in New Brunswick are decrying the government's centralization of Indigenous issues. Afghanistan's embassy in India is closing and another road accident in Mexico has killed migrants who are trying to move north. Good morning. It's Monday, October 2nd. I know, October already. I'm Nora and here are your headlines. We start this morning with more news about rent strikes in Toronto. No, not the ones with tenants at 33 King Street West and 22 John Street in Toronto who've been on strike since June. Another one. Kevin Connor from the Toronto Sun is reporting that tenants living at 1440 and 1442 Lawrence Avenue West in the city's northwest are going on strike. They're members of the York Southwestern Tenants Union and the residence is owned by a company called Barney River Investment Properties. Chiara Padovani from the Tenants Union says that tenants are striking to oppose another above guideline rental increase. Those rental increases happen when a landlord decides to hike rents above what is allowed because they have to do extra repairs. But the tenants have said that they've had elevator problems and bug issues over the past while. Padovani said this, quote, rent strikes show just how dire things are getting in the province. It is a shocking shame that landlords would rather evict than negotiate. That is a tactic the tenant union will be fighting. Connor reported that no one from Barney River Investment was reachable in time for the story. Barney River holds 2,000 multifamily suites and about 3,000 hotel guest rooms. The former are located mostly in the greater Toronto area and the latter are spread across major cities in Canada. The firm manages some Hilton and Marriott properties. They promise on their website to, quote, deliver sustainable cash flows over the long term, unquote, indicating, of course, that rents are part of those sustainable cash flows. The investment firm is owned by the Manji family, a group who got into real estate in the 1970s. The leadership includes twin siblings, Salim and Shaila. They made a lot of money in retirement residences and senior living facilities. The Globe and Mail reports that the pair, quote, established and ran senior living Amica for two years and then sold it to the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan in 2015 for $578 million. Now to Canada's Atlantic Puffin Colony. Things are not appearing to be going well for the puffins who live at Whitless Bay Ecological Reserve on the Avalon Peninsula in Newfoundland. CBC's Chris O'Neill Yates is reporting that members of something called the Puffin Patrol, a group that seeks out lost puffins who are drawn away from their communities from town lights, is noticing fewer puffins and smaller ones too. Them finding fewer and smaller puffins triggered researchers to look at the ecological reserve where they found that many puffin chicks have died. O'Neill Yates reports that the discovery is connected to, quote, serious problems in ocean ecology, including warming ocean temperatures and a struggling complex food web, unquote. The puffins died of starvation. One of the main foods that puffins eat are a fish called caplin, but in August there were nearly no caplin. Usually, there would be lots for the puffins to eat. Plus, warmer waters are pushing fish lower into the water, placing them out of reach from where puffins can dive. They can only dive 50 meters below the surface, and fish are often swimming lower than that. 
There are still more than 300,000 nesting pairs and puffins live well into their 20s, so a single summer's die-off isn't a total disaster, said one of the scientists they spoke to, Sabina Wilhelm. But a loss of Kaplan stocks could spell disaster for other animals too. Cod, whales, and other birds rely on the fish. Commercial fishers fished 14,533 tons of Kaplan in 2023. They only take the female Kaplan though, and their eggs are exported to the US, China, Taiwan, and Japan. It's also one of the least lucrative fisheries in the province, and many are calling for it to be shut down to help protect animals like the puffins. In 2022, a massive die-off of puffins was triggered by avian flu. Now to New Brunswick, where Indigenous leadership are decrying the government's move to centralize all conversations with Indigenous nations inside of Aboriginal affairs. Jillian Paul from the Wollastogwe Nation said that the chiefs have gone from having good working relationships with several different departments, but are now being pushed to deal with all issues through Aboriginal affairs. Global News' Silas Brown is reporting that Paul says that this approach to Indigenous groups is leaving them out of various processes, meaning that consultations appear as, quote, an afterthought, unquote. Paul said this, Oftentimes we find that when we're consulted, it's at the end of the project when a decision on a project has already been made, and consultation is merely a blowing off steam process for First Nations, and another hurdle or a checkbox process to get approval for a project, unquote. Now to international news. First, the Afghanistan embassy in India is closing. Al Jazeera reports that the embassy, quote, owed its allegiance to the former West-backed government, unquote. There are about 40,000 refugees who live in India, according to the UNHCR. About a third of these refugees are Afghans. There are, of course, other Afghans in India who are not registered with the UN. The embassy said that they've been short of resources and personnel, and it's been making it difficult for them to operate. They promised Afghans living in India that they would do what they can to get an agreement with the Indian government to safeguard their interests. The, quote, absence of a legitimate functioning government in Kabul, unquote, was also one of the reasons that the embassy cited for why it was closing. In recent months, the ambassador and other high-ranking diplomats had left India. The regime change two years ago has created a difficult international issue where many of the country's diplomats were appointed by the former government who refused to cede control of embassy buildings to Taliban authorities. This has meant that Afghan embassies all over the world are staffed by people who are not supported by the Afghan government. India has no diplomatic presence in Afghanistan either, but Indian officials are keen to have a relationship with Afghanistan, considering the weight and influence that Pakistan has in Afghanistan. Indian envoys have met with Taliban representatives in Doha, and India sent wheat, medicine, COVID-19 vaccines, and winter clothes to Afghanistan last year to help with shortages. Before the Taliban took back power, India had trained Afghan security forces and provided the country with military equipment. They were also the largest provider of development aid in the region. And finally, a truck accident in Chiapas, Mexico, near the border with Guatemala, has resulted in at least 10 migrants being killed and 25 others injured. They were traveling in a cargo truck when the truck overturned on the highway. Agence France Presse reported that all of the victims were women and one was a minor. They were all Cubans. Fatal crashes involving migrants are common in Mexico. There was even another crash this same week. Two people also died in Chiapas when a truck overturned. 
And August, 15 people were killed when a bus collided with a trailer along a highway that connects the states of Puebla with Oaxaca. There were mostly Venezuelan migrants on board. A bus crash in July in Oaxaca killed up to 27 migrants. A crash in April killed 18. And in February, another crash between Oaxaca and Pueblo killed at least 17 people. Those are your headlines for Monday, October 2nd. I'm Nora. You're listening to this podcast at sandyandnora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you have a great Monday and I hope you have a great rest of the week.